0: Welcome back to the podcast, guys. This is the number one podcast for men in their 40s who want to improve their health through nutrition and fitness. This is episode 133, and on today's episode, we're going to be discussing the myths around fat and the details around the ever popular keto diet. Joining me is Dr. Stephen Gundry. He's an American physician and author, he's a former cardiac surgeon and he currently runs his own clinic. Investigating the impact of diet on health. Dr. Stevens conducted cardiac surgery research in the nineties and was a surgeon in an unusual case where an infant spontaneously healed avoiding heart transplant surgery. He's a New York Times best-selling author of books like The Plant Paradox, The Hidden Dangers in Healthy Foods That Cause Disease and Weight Gain. Hey Dr. Stevens, thank you very much for joining me on the podcast today. How are you?
1: Good. Thanks for having me, Dan.
0: Yeah, thanks very much for for taking some time out to speak to us today. So for people that haven't uh, come across you or heard about Dr. Stephen Gundry before, can you give us a bit of background and insight, please?
1: Sure. Uh, Many people know me from my first uh, monster bestseller, The Plant Paradox, which actually is very popular still in in the UK uh, and around the world. Uh, I used to be professor and chairman of cardiothoracic surgery at Loma Linda University, did pioneered baby and infant heart transplantation with my colleague Leonard Bailey. Uh, was famous for operating on people who nobody else wanted to operate on, invented a lot of catheters that keep people alive during heart surgery. And then my life was changed about 25 years ago when I met a guy who I call Big Ed, (laughs) who uh, cleaned out uh, severe blockages in his coronary artery by changing his diet and taking a bunch of supplements from a health food store right and i'd never seen anything like it and i decided that i needed to figure out how he did it so i spent now the last 25 years of figuring out how he did it and i actually resigned my position as a surgeon at loma linda and set up clinics in palm springs in santa barbara california and the result of seeing patients six days a week literally um uh, is resulted in uh, multiple bestsellers, and my most recent one, which comes out momentarily, is unlocking the keto code. Yeah. So
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's no, super, that's super, super interesting, and um, yeah, I'm, I think a great place to start really is that topic of about you know of diet and just how critical diet is to to our health, because I think we've evolved in society to think that health is something that we fix and the analogy that i always use is that you know you wouldn't run your car until it breaks down right and so whenever a warning light comes on we're straight to the garage to get it fixed but with our own bodies we seem to ignore it right and think that well we'll just go and see the doctor and the doctor will fix us but actually i think fundamentally we have to change as a a human race really um, so it'd be good to kind of really get your thoughts on, obviously you, you you mentioned the guy there that you work with, but just how fundamentally important our diets are and where you think our diet has gone wrong in this kind of Western world.
1: Well, I'll use myself as a perfect example. Uh, and I think uh, your viewers and listeners will love this. Um, so, i was uh when I met Big Ed, I was actually about forty five and I was running thirty miles a week. I was right. going to the gym one hour every day mm. and I was eating what I thought was a healthy low fat diet and yet <laughs> I weighed two hundred and twenty eight pounds i'm five foot ten, so I was yeah. obese yeah. i was uh, insulin resistant pre diabetic wow. hypertension arthritis, migraine headaches. And I'm going, you know, and I was told by my colleagues, well, this is genetic, you can't do anything (laughs) about it. And, you know, you're just going to have to start taking medications. So imagine my surprise when, you know, I met Big Ed Mm. and totally reversed my diet didn't change right. anything else and actually took some supplements from a health food store right i lost 50 pounds my first year wow and su- subsequently lost another 20 pounds uh, yep. and i've kept it off now for 25 years right and so diet actually controls almost everything yeah so what did we get wrong well one of the things that we got wrong is that the idea that fat is the cause of all Mm -hmm. of our mischief and that fat is the cause of high cholesterol and that we should follow a low-fat diet because clearly fat is the problem right boy did we get that wrong yeah And interesting, uh, uh, an English scientist, Judkins, way back uh, in the 60s and 70s, kept arguing that, no, 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 no. It it has nothing to do with fat. It's sugar, sugar sugar is the murderer. Sugar causes high cholesterol. But he wasn't as good, uh, I guess, public speaker as, as other folks who pushed mm-hmm. the cholesterol theory. Um, and uh, Ansel Keys from yeah. the University of, of uh, Minnesota, I guess, got everybody's attention.
0: And mm-hmm.
1: Ansel Keys was wrong, as I talk about in the new book.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's a very interesting part, isn't it? I mean, I've read the same thing about Ansel Keys. I've also read about the fact that he actually knew himself that, Fat wasn't the the kind of single biggest contributor to 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 um, heart disease, um, but he kind of got muted and 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 just kind of went along with it. So we kind of uh, we've effectively been on this seventy year almost journey, right, where we've been told that fat is still bad. And in large, you know, unless you're really taking active, um, you know, active measures to to manage your health that is still the case today right if you look on supermarket shelves and if you look at food products low fat this low fat that you know and it's and it's and it's really really bad so with regards to fat then dr stephen because fats are very broad topic isn't it as you know and so there are bad fats and there are good fats and and that's probably to the extent that people talk about good and bad fats but actually what is that, and what does it mean?
1: Well, that's where everything kind of got screwed up, I guess. Um, yeah. You know, one of uh, one of my colleagues in the UK, Tim Nestor, who's done uh, tons of twin studies in the yeah. UK, uh, makes some rather bold statements that cheese is really good for you, mm. and he's actually right, uh, particularly depending on the cheese. Yeah, and it's like I mean. Ansel Keys would have rolled over in his grave if some doctor would say <laughs> yeah. cheese is good for you, but yeah. kind of kind of staying with the same idea, you know, Ansel Keys with the famous seven country study had a lot of European uh, nations uh, involved in the seven country study. But yeah. interestingly enough, he didn't include France in, right. in the seven <laughs> country study and looking back it's obvious why he didn't include france because france completely ruins his theory right Uh, because the French eat huge amounts of fats huge amounts of cheeses and they have far less cardiovascular health Mm -hmm. than uh, the english than americans in fact they they have actually remarkably low cardiovascular disease and boy that if you're trying to throw fat under the bus, they're a bad (laughs) example. Yeah. So you're right. There are different kinds of fats Um, in unlocking the keto code. One of the big surprises is there's a, there's a huge multi-generational study in the United States called the Framingham heart study. Right. And they're now into, I think the third generation started in 1945. Mm -hmm. And they followed all these families and one of their, more recent conclusions was that number one the higher people's total cholesterol was the longer they lived and the longer they lived disease-free which is shocking yeah the other the other thing that they found is that one of the important components, one of the important fats that they identified that seemed to confer safety from coronary disease is a fat actually found in milk products, particularly cheeses. And that, again, goes against any common Mm. knowledge. The third thing I think is interesting, there have been multiple studies looking at the effect of olive oil in the diet. More, most recently, the famous study was called the PREDIMED study out of Spain. Mm. And they looked at 65-year-old people who had had a heart attack or had stents or bypass. And they looked at them over a five-year period. One group was forced to use a liter of olive oil per week. Now, that's a right. lot of olive oil. Yeah. That's, about, that's about 10 to 12 tablespoons a day. Wow. The other group were put on a low-fat diet, right. and After the end of five years, the people on the high olive oil fat diet had dramatically less new events in coronary artery disease, less heart attacks, less strokes, um, less stents. The low fat diet had increased heart attack. And what's really amazing is the people on the olive oil group actually improved their memory over five years despite the fact getting five years older. Yeah. Well, the low fat group, actually, their memory got worse and worse. Yeah. All because of olive oil. Right. There was another very famous study that the, the high fat folks absolutely hated called the Lyon Heart Diet uh, or Lion Heart Diet from Lyon, France. Yeah. Same sort of study. It was actually a controlled study of people who had had a heart attack. Yeah. One group was placed on a Mediterranean diet with a lot of a short-chain omega-3 fat called alpha-linolenic acid, right. ALA. The other group followed the American Heart Association low-fat diet. It was right. supposed to go five years. The group with the ALA had so much better outcome that the study was stopped at three years because it was unethical to continue. Wow. And when they looked at the results of the factors that made the difference, the only thing they found that made a difference was the amount of ALA, this short chain omega-3 fat in their blood, the only thing made a difference. So depending on, you know, the fats, fat Mm -hmm. is not evil. And in fact, certain fats, as I look at, as I go in the book are really good for you and ought to be in all of our diets
0: yeah absolutely and i think you know the 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 kind of type of fat is is very important because you know i often overhear people talking about sunflower oil and in the states you talk about canola oil and things like that so i really i want to kind of help the listeners understand the kind of when we you know we've obviously touched on olive oil there which is which is a great fat to have But when we're talking about oils in specific, you know, the differences and why certain type of oils work and why certain type of oils don't.
1: Yeah. So um, in the United States, uh, actually in North America, we have access to canola oil, which is really rapeseed oil uh, with a. Prettier name, I guess. Right. And that's actually a great source of that omega 3 fat called you know, ALA. Yeah. And so that's a really great fat to get in your diet. Yeah. Um, there's also a lot of ALA in flaxseed oil and in flaxseed. So it's another mm. great place. But One of the problems, particularly in in the United States, people have been demonizing vegetable oils in general, and that vegetable oils are the real troublemaker. And that could be soybean oil and corn oil and sunflower oil. But these oils actually are essential. They're essential because we can't manufacture these short chain fats. We have to get them from our diet. And it turns out the little energy producing organelles in all of our cells called the mitochondria, a great deal of the construction of hmm. these organelles are from short chain omega three and omega uh, six fats, right. uh, linolenic acid and linoleic acid. Why are they then so bad? Well, number one, we have huge amounts of these omega six fats in our diet, yeah. but As I show in the book, it turns out it's not these fats that are the bad guys. It's the fact that these fats usually appear in conjunction with tons of sugar and carbohydrates. Mm. Right. And there's some really good studies that when you piece out, okay, who's the troublemaker? It's actually the sugars that turn these guys into troublemakers, not not the fats themselves.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that. I think that's super interesting and super valuable to understand. But when we when we're talking about the benefits of, we've obviously talked about the fats, but we're talking about the benefits to the body. The f- fats, I, I want to kind of help the listeners understand that because you know we we obviously think that obviously protein is is a very important part of of our diet, as is fiber, as is carbohydrates, and obviously fat has been demonized, unfortunately. But when we're talking about various different areas and functions in the body, what are the benefits of having a higher fat diet?
1: Well, again, some of these fats like ALA, like linoleic acid are main components of cell membranes and actually of the energy producing cells. And depending on these fats, they provide flexibility to mm-hmm. the cell or they can stiffen the cell. Yeah. And some of my previous books, like the energy paradox shows that if we're eating the wrong kind of fats, particularly several saturated fats, right, or we're making bad fats by eating a lot of carbohydrates, yeah. then our cells actually stiffen and kind of, you know, you're like, there's a check engine light, warning light on, but we're not paying any attention to it
0: yeah 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 it's
1: like putting in bad petrol you know right
0: exactly yeah and i think that's a great analogy for people to understand as well and also you know when we when we now kind of moving along to the kind of the keto diet that has been a diet which has been widely kind of publicized over the last five years at least really and uh, you know, it, there are some huge benefits in following a keto diet aren't there. And, and one of them being that fat can actually be used as energy. You know, we have two kind of fuel sources in the body, carbohydrates, and and then fat. So, you know, can we talk a little bit about how those energy systems are used within the body, and just how much more energy the body has in terms of fat?
1: Well, even actually very, thin people uh you'd be shocked (laughs) with how much fat is actually in thin people yeah um even uh, professional um, bodybuilders still carry around seven to eight percent fat yeah a lot of it is actually stored in our abdomen in our gut a lot of fat is actually in our muscles Uh, most people don't realize that there's yeah. a lot of fat stored in muscles until they eat a nice fatty steak and they go, oh, there is a yeah. lot of fat in here. Yeah. So one of the problems, as I talk about in Unlocking the Keto Code, is that much of the fat that we'd like to get to, to burn as a fuel, and we mm. certainly can burn fat as a fuel, is, is kind of stuck in our fat stores. And I go into why that happens to most of us, yeah, um, normally, when we eat uh we particularly carbohydrates and protein, we make a hormone that most people have heard about called insulin, yeah, and insulin uh does two things: it carries sugars and proteins into primarily muscle cells, opens the door,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: if you're eating too much that the muscles can use, insulin acts as a storage hormone and turns whatever we eat into fat. Interestingly enough, the higher our insulin levels are, the easier it is to turn what we eat into fat. Now, what's sad is most most folks in the West uh, are insulin resistant. We make far too much insulin. Insulin's second job or third job is you, if you stop eating, normally insulin falls, and when it falls, a hormone is made called hormone-sensitive lipase that releases fat from fat right. cells so that you can use it. Yeah, Insulin, when it's elevated, doesn't allow that to happen. Mm. So the fat just sits in there, even if you're on a high-fat keto diet or even if you're not eating at all. Mm. And it it can actually take two to four weeks of constant work to lower insulin level enough that fat can come out of fat cells. It's kind of like water, water everywhere and not a drop to drink. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why so many people who want to try a, a keto diet, a very low carb, high fat diet, they kind of crash and burn early on because, you know, they get the Adkins blues or the keto flu <laughs> yeah, because they got plenty of fat, but they yeah. can't release it because their insulin level is so high. And that's what's so frustrating. Mm. In fact, interestingly enough, 60% of people who go on a ketogenic diet quit after a month uh, because they just can't do it. They feel miserable.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and I've heard that, you know, I've heard, you know, lots of people who try it and say that they just can't stick with it, um, you know, headaches, like you say, this keto flu, which from what I understand is effectively you're actually being dehydrated and you're not having enough electrolytes in the body um, rather than, you know, kind of the, the actual flu. So I think it would be good to kind of really understand and break down what keto actually is because there's a lot of you know the the general summary is it's a high fat diet right um but there's lots more to it to that than that isn't there really and and it's hugely beneficial and it's a diet which has been used for what i understand in type one diabetics for 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 a a while um but obviously now it's been type two sorry Um, yeah, so, so yeah, can we dig in a little bit about the keto diet, the constructs of it and, you know, how people should approach it?
1: Yeah. Interestingly enough, ketones have been known about since the late 1800s. They were discovered in Germany, but the keto diet was first used in the 1930s to treat childhood epilepsy, seizure disorder. And it was found that actually children who were starving with epilepsy because they were having so many epileptic fits, they didn't even wake up to eat. The more they starved, uh, the more their seizures went away.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: they discovered these kids were full of ketones in their blood. Right. And so a researcher at the Mayo Clinic uh, in uh, Minnesota said gee, I think it's ketones that are stopping these kids' seizures. And another way to make ketones is to basically eliminate carbohydrates and proteins and just eat a 80% fat diet. Right. And kids were put on this and lo and behold, their seizures uh, did remarkably well. So uh, before this was before any drugs for epilepsy. Now, once yeah. drugs for epilepsy came out, pretty much fell by the wayside, right. but uh, it had a resurgence in the eighties when it was discovered that MCT oil, medium chain triglycerides could be given to kids in m- much lower amounts of fat, and they could have more carbohydrates and more proteins, and they'd still fix their seizures. Okay. Right. So it was discovered that MCT oil works totally different than any other fats mm-hmm. in that MCT oil goes directly to the liver where it's converted into ketones, ketone bodies, right. which then actually can go to the brain and mm-hmm. keep the brain pretty happy. Interestingly enough, the brain can't use free fatty acids as a fuel fat for fuel, because right. the fat is too big to get past what's called the blood brain barrier. Right, And so, Free fatty acids can go to the liver and be made into ketones. And the ketones are little bitty water soluble molecules that can get through the blood brain barrier and keep the brain okay yeah. while waiting for a next good meal. Yeah. So that's where the idea of the ketogenic diet for, for instance, health uh, came from. Now, many people, if you do a ketogenic diet properly, lose weight and can lose a lot of weight on a ketogenic diet. And it was thought, and even I thought, that somehow ketones make us efficient fat burners, and that's somehow uh, how we lose weight. Well, it turns out when I was writing my last book, The Energy Paradox, and trying to explain how ketones make you an mm-hmm. efficient fat burner. And I use research to back up what I write. In fact, the exact opposite is true of ketones. Right. K- ketones actually don't make you an efficient fat burner, it makes you an efficient fat waster. You right. actually kind of throw fat out the back door, you mm. do a caloric bypass. And it's the fact that you actually waste fat that makes you lose weight on a ketogenic diet.
0: Right. Okay.
1: And the fact that that happened made me say, well, wait a minute. So, most of what we know about how ketones work is wrong. They're not some great fuel. They're actually a signaling molecule mm-hmm. that tell our cells, our mitochondria to literally waste fat. And right. you know, how do they do that? And mm-hmm. is there something else other compounds that might have the same effect and that's actually what generated the unlocking the keto code yeah because because the good news is uh you don't just have to eat a high fat diet i mean right believe it or not it's it gets a little boring eating a pound of cream cheese with <laughs> you know a cheddar cheese chaser and <laughs> you know a half a pound of bacon every day yeah i'm sorry it, just uh yeah. you you get tired of that. And and that's that's why a lot of people quit. It, right. What am I gonna do? You know, I can't do that every day. So um uh, we now know that ketones actually the mechanism by telling mitochondria to basically waste fuel has got a funny name called mitochondrial uncoupling. Right. And it, Now, in the United States, we call uncoupling getting divorced, I guess. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But uh, the term is a scientific term that normally to make ATP energy, we couple oxygen molecules with protons in our mitochondria, and that coupling Mm -hmm. actually produces ATP. So, That's what would normally happen to make ATP. But science has shown that mitochondria normally 30% of all the calories that enter into the mitochondria to get coupled with Mm -hmm. oxygen don't get coupled at all. They are uncoupled from making ATP. That's where the term came from. And this uncoupling is controlled by literally pop off valves in the mitochondria. Yeah. Uh, most people have a pressure cooker or know about a pressure cooker and we've got this little jiggly valve on yeah. the top. And when the pressure gets too high, you know, it, it pops off the pressure. Why do you pop it off? Cause it keeps getting pressurized. It'll explode. Yeah. Uh, so making energy in mitochondria is, is very high pressure work and very damaging. So mitochondria have these built-in little pressure release valves that are controlled by uncoupling proteins. Right. And there's actually five of them. And at rest, you and me sitting here, 30% of all the calories arriving in our mitochondria for processing, for coupling are thrown away through these trap doors, 30%. And you go, Well, that seems stupid. You mean Mm. I have to eat 30% more food every day to make ATP? Why would I do that? Uh, Seems very inefficient. Yeah. Well, it turns out it generates heat. And we're a warm-blooded animal. And believe it or not, even cold-blooded animals are actually warm-blooded, but just at a much lower temperature. Yeah. So all animals use this uncoupling mechanism to generate heat. Mm -hmm. In fact, people may have heard uh, of brown fat and white fat. Yeah. Yeah. So brown fat is named brown fat because it has so many mitochondria in it that under the microscope, it literally looks brown. Right. White fat looks white because it really doesn't have very many mitochondria. And one of the things we know about brown fat is it's very thermogenic. It makes lots of heat. And yeah. We originally thought that brown fat was around for babies because uh, they needed to have mm-hmm. warmth. And yeah. Then, yeah. So it turns out that brown fat makes heat by uncoupling.
0: Oh, okay. Aha.
1: Now, where this goes, and the reason this should be of interest to us, is that there was a researcher by the name of Martin Brand in 2000 who showed that the more a mitochondria is stressed, the more you are starving, the more the mitochondria actually uncouples, which makes really no sense. Mm. But he showed that super old people, 105 years old around the world who are thriving, have the most uncoupled mitochondria compared to everybody else. So he said, Hey, you know, Mm. uh, all these guys, their mitochondria are uncoupled and we should try to uncouple Mm -hmm. our mitochondria. So it turns out the ketones actually tell mitochondria to uncouple. There are lots of other substances that tell mitochondria to uncouple. And that's what the rest of the book goes into.
0: Yeah, that is very, very interesting. And I've not actually heard the term uncoupling, but as you've described, it makes perfect sense, right? It's the uncoupling um, of the mitochondria obviously, you know, gets rid of of the fat. So one big factor within keto is this this term called being in ketosis, um, which is obviously when the body's generating ketones, um and yeah so so can you talk a little bit around actually what that actually is and you know based on what you found through writing your book just how important is it that people are in ketosis to get the full benefits of, of the keto diet
1: well interestingly enough uh and i talk about this in the book with patients uh so many people who actually think They're in ketosis and on a ketogenic diet, actually aren't making any ketones at all. Right. Normally, if we run out of carbohydrates, sugar, Mm. uh, we should start generating ketones after about eight hours after our last meal. Yeah. And by 12 hours after the last meal, we should actually be making a lot of ketones. Right. And, uh, If we aren't metabolically flexible, that is, we can't shift from burning sugar to fats, uh, we actually can't get into ketosis. Now, ketones came about to keep the brain happy during times when all the rest of the body could burn free fatty acids, but they couldn't get to the brain. So ketones were a uh, stopgap measure for the brain. Now, a lot of researchers in the 70s and 80s thought that because ketones happened when you were starving and we knew that humans didn't have access to food 24 hours a day, seven days a week, that we would have gone long periods of time without eating or meager eating that the idea that ketones could keep us alive and mm-hmm. functioning and keep our brain working until you know we found an antelope or found a yeah. cherry treaty then that we should probably always try to be in ketosis which number one is absurd um yeah. can you imagine <laughs> if we were starving for two weeks And we came upon, you know, a fruit tree and we go, oh, gee, you know, I really don't want to eat that fruit because I want to stay in ketosis. (laughs) I mean, really? Yeah, of course we wouldn't. And as I show in the book, continuous ketosis is actually a really dumb idea. Yeah. Uh, Continuous ketosis leads to muscle wasting. right? And we were never designed for that. But Mm. what I talk about in the book is we were actually designed every 24 hours to Mm -hmm. generate ketones for a period of time that would uncouple our mitochondria that would allow for mitochondrial repair. And then we'd eat again and the process would start and stop every 24 hours. What's exciting is that research in animals and now in humans shows that if we extend that non-eating period from yep. 12 hours to like 16 or 17 hours, then we get a further, oh, four to five-hour benefit of mm. making ketones. And so we get a further benefit in uncoupling our mitochondria. Probably most the most dramatic results of this, what I talk about in the book, with italian athletes uh, cyclists right these guys were put on a training table for three months in other words they all had to eat the exact same thing yeah they were divided into two groups and fed at different times of the day Mm -hmm. one group ate breakfast at eight o'clock in the morning they ate lunch at one o'clock in the afternoon. They had to finish dinner by eight o'clock at night. So that's a 12 hour eating window yeah. and a 12 hour not eating. Window. Right. The other group had to eat breakfast, break fast at one o'clock in the afternoon, four right. o'clock in the afternoon was lunch. And then they had to finish dinner at eight. So that's a seven hour eating window. Mm-hmm. When they looked at the three months, remember everybody's eating the same amount of calories, the same, food. Right. the group, with the compressed eating window lost weight a lot of weight and the other group didn't right and the group with the compressed eating window lowered a very important factor of aging called insulin like growth factor 1 IGF1 whereas the group that ate 12 hours had no change yeah so just compressing the eating window and spending another four to five hours in ketosis, yeah. uncoupled more mitochondria and had these huge health benefits. Mm. So the important part is we really shouldn't strive to be 24-7 in ketosis. Yeah, We should strive to have ketone production for a good part of that 24-hour period, but then to break it. And I think that's one of the real keys of unlocking the keto code.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think, you know, we've talked a lot here today about, you know, the, the weight benefits of, of ketosis and being using keto, but the, the health benefits are profound, aren't they really with, with ketosis from, you know, the a process that the body goes through called autophagy which you know clears out our kind of dead cells you know gives the gut the intestines time to rest and recover and you know to come back to the car analogy you wouldn't continue to fill a car up would you right you need to have that time where you burn it off so so yeah i think that that's that's really really interesting one of the things i do want to ask you though is that you know obviously in as, as we've spoken about in the western world The Western diet is predominantly carbohydrates, right? It is so hugely carbohydrate focused. So, you know, where do you see the challenges for people that are considering keto or, you know, going into using the keto diet coming away from the Western diet? Because that's a challenge in and of itself, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. And actually, there's some, some really good work from researchers from the University of Sydney in Australia that shows that uh, all animals actually have a carbohydrate need. They seek yeah. out carbohydrates. And certainly we know from our children's experience that uh, mm-hmm. kids... Um, they crave carbohydrates. Uh, yeah. There's almost no way of stopping them. <laughs> yeah. And that's another reason why so many people fail on mm. a, a high fat ketogenic diet. Cause they just, you know, you know, if I don't, you know, get a piece of toast, uh, someday I'm, you know, I'm going to kill somebody. Yeah. Um, or if I don't have a, you know, a Kit Kat, I'm going to kill somebody. So, so the answer is it's not that carbohydrates are evil, one of the exciting work that I talk about came out of the National Institutes of Health from Dr. DiCabo, who showed that it really didn't matter the sort of foods that were fed to rats in, in his experiments. It actually depended on compressing the time of day that they had yeah. access to these right. foods. And so in a way, I hate to say this, if you follow... Intermittent fasting or time-restricted eating, and follow my plan, you can have your cake and eat it too, um, and I think that's very liberating. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it's all these hacks that, you know, oh my gosh, you know, I I I want I want a piece of bread. Well, okay, so let's have that piece of bread within the time frame that you're going to compress your eating window, and you're going to find that you can get away with it. Uh, there's other great hacks that we talk about. For instance, I think one of the best hacks that I've had in my ketogenic programs since I started writing books is the use of MCT oil, medium yeah. chain triglycerides. And again, I hearken back to these studies with children with seizure disorders, and they found that if they gave children MCT oil instead of a super high fat diet, they could get the same results yeah. with, and still give them carbohydrates and proteins. Well, the question is why? So MCT oils, unlike any fat. And MCT oil actually goes, is absorbed through the intestines and goes directly to the liver, where it's instantaneously converted into ketones regardless of whether you're having a high-fat diet, regardless of whether you're fasting. Mm. And so you can actually generate the effect of uncoupling ketone molecules, even if you had, for instance, uh, a a bowl of fruit salad. Mm. Now, I'm not recommending you do that, (laughs) but you could do that and have a couple tablespoons of MCT oil and human studies show you will produce ketone. The other fascinating finding is that goat and sheep milk, 30% of the calories in goat and sheep milk actually come from medium chain triglycerides. In fact, most of the names for MCT actually come from the Latin word copra, which is goat. So there's capric acid, caprylic acid, and so forth. So they're all named after goat. So yeah. the great thing for people is you could have goat or sheep yogurt, or you could have goat or sheep cheese and actually be eating MCTs and having a nice time eating it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And the
1: one couple of your mitochondria.
0: Yeah. And I, and I think that's super interesting, isn't it? Because we, we, again, you know, we, we, we kind of demonize dairy and things like that, but there's sheep and there's goats milk and things like that, which are so beneficial to just our long-term health. And I think, you know, we we talk a lot about diet and dieting, but actually it's a protocol that we're talking about here, isn't it? We're we're following a protocol and it's not restrictive. Um, It's just a different modality, I guess, in the way in which we look at eating, right? Um, And and I think, you know, your book is fantastic because it dispels a lot of these myths around it. Because like you said previously, you know, eating pounds of cheese and bacon and stuff like that might sound great, but actually it will get quite tedious it after a while. Um, and that's like anything when you try and restrict the human body or the human mind to something, we don't work well with stuff like that. Right. No. So I think it's, it's been a fantastic uh, conversation today, Doc Stephen, but I'd really like if you could share with the audience, a couple of, uh, you know, tips that that they could take away before reading your book that they could start to think about to implement um, in their diets?
1: Yeah. So there's actually a lot of fun ways to actually uncouple your mitochondria to get the effects of ketones mm. without actually eating ketones. So for instance, Uh, I'm actually having, I think, my fourth cup of tea this morning. Right. And tea is actually loaded with polyphenols, which it turns out polyphenols uncouple your mitochondria. A cup of coffee is loaded with polyphenols that uncouple your mitochondria. Many people probably notice that when they have a cup of tea or a cup of coffee, that they get a a little warm. They might even get a little, you know, sweat on their brow. Even an iced coffee will do that. Well, it turns out those are generating heat by uncoupling your mitochondria. So just having, for instance, there's beautiful studies that people who drink five cups of coffee per day have very little uh, dementia, Alzheimer's, or Parkinson's disease compared to people who drink far less. And it's actually because of the uncoupling effect extra dark chocolate who doesn't love extra dark chocolate uh stay away from the milk chocolate the milk actually absorbs polyphenols but extra dark chocolate cacao cocoa uncouples mitochondria right Um, getting the polyphenols from red wine for instance red wine uncouples your mitochondria and who knew that you know the french paradox was actually (laughs) because They were eating all these great goat and sheep cheeses and they were having several glasses of wine and they were uncoupling their mitochondria from multiple ways. So there's lots of ways to do this that are actually very uh, liberating Mm. and and you're and you're right. You know, what I've tried to do through my career is get people a diet that they can live with literally and figuratively. And, And really it, you know, eating an 80% fat diet is just, it's just not livable. And that's been no. proven over and over and over. Yeah. In fact, you know, number of human studies, in fact, a recent one was just published this week, looking at the effects of a high-fat, low-carbohydrate diet versus a regular carbohydrate diet on weight loss. Mm-hmm. And they found that over a year... There was absolutely no difference between the weight loss of the ketogenic diet and the regular diet. Why? Because most people gave up and yeah. started, they just gave up. Because yeah. it's it's just not sustainable in the long term.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's that's a great note to end on. You know, we want to, yes, we want to be healthy, but we don't want to be in, in a way where it's almost like you know, it's so regimented that, you know, we can't live effectively a a normal life. And and what we're not saying here is that, you know, you can go out and stuff yourself with fat. We're saying that, you know, there's a modality, there's a protocol to follow, which actually is quite pleasant and fantastic for your health. So Dr. Stephen, thank you very much for coming on the podcast today. Um, I highly recommend, uh, the listeners actually check out your book. Is it actually out now at the time of recording this? March 8th is the right.
1: release date, and it comes out in the UK very shortly after that release okay. date. So yeah.
0: I'm sure we can get it on pre-order, right, on on right. Amazon and stuff on like Amazon, that. On Amazon,
1: Barnes & Noble, wherever you get yeah. your books, yeah.
0: Yeah, and and for those people that haven't come across all of your other books, you've written some fantastic books, um, if they just check you out on Amazon, you know, they, I, I can't remember the titles of all of them now. Maybe you want to share them with us.
1: Yeah. The most famous one is the Plant Paradox, right. uh, the Plant Paradox Cookbook, the uh, Longevity Paradox, which was another big bestseller. The Energy Paradox was my last book. Yeah. And we've got the Plant Paradox Cookbook, the Plant Paradox Family Cookbook. <laughs> um, you name it. We, I hope to cover all the bases
0: yeah absolutely and and other places where they can check you out
1: yeah they can go to drgundry.com, which is my website uh, gundrymd.com which is my uh, supplement and uh, food uh, website i've got the dr gundry podcast wherever you get your podcasts Um, i've got two youtube channels and visit me on instagram
0: yeah absolutely so The the long and short of it is just Google Dr. Gundry and you'll come up with tons of content, loads of books to read. Thank you again so much for coming on today. I really appreciate it. And, um, yeah, I'd love to catch up with you again in the future. Thanks, Darren, and thanks for having me on. appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Fitter, Healthier Dad podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please hit subscribe, and I would really appreciate if you could leave a review on iTunes All the links mentioned in the episode will be in the show notes and a full transcription is over at fitterhealthierdad.com.